The Jad Spotlight, Episode 15. Hey everybody, what's up? Yanni Lunga from the Jet Spotlight here and welcome to the 15th episode of the Jet Spotlight podcast. I hope you're having a good day. I'm having a great day today. I'm super excited about this episode and this new guest. Like always, I want to remind you that if you're listening from, to the podcast from iTunes or SoundCloud or YouTube, you can find the show notes at thejetspotlight.com slash episode 15. You will find the links to all the things we talk about with this guest, to the resources, and all the other things. Today we have a super, super special guest here. And if you are in the jazz niche and you're on Twitter, you've probably heard of elements of jazz really popular with over 17,000 followers. It's really active if you want to know what's happening in jazz, the latest, you know, new albums and, and all sorts of things. That's definitely the place you want to be. It's re- great pleasure that I welcome on the show Donna Mercer of elementsofjazz.com. Hey Donna, how are you today? Hey Yannick, I'm fine. How are you today? I'm fantastic. First of all, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. You are so welcome. All right. Let's get started. The first question I think everyone wants to know. How, what is your relationship to jazz? How did you fall in love with jazz music? That's a good question. Um, I did not grow up in a jazz household. Jazz was not played in my home. Um, Motown was. Uh, uh, things that, like late 60s, early 70s. My mom was into everything but jazz. Um, therefore, I did not grow up with an appreciation of it. Um, as I became an adult and I started to date, um, a few of my ex-boyfriends exposed me to jazz, but uh, nothing stuck. Um, a very, very good friend of mine, um, over a course of three or four years, tried to get me to listen to his jazz collection as we used to hang out. And I remember telling him, Paris, I don't have time for that. And he would just shake his head and try another week or so. But um, he passed away unexpectedly in October of 2006. Uh, It was a total shock to me. We hadn't talked to one another for about six months. And he definitely did not let me know that he had cancer. Um, the last time that we had a conversation. So I grieved for him like I have not grieved for anyone else. And the grieving period lingered and it consumed me for months. And in my desperation to um, uh, deal with his death, um, deal with the fact that I wouldn't be able to talk to him about things, you know, bounce ideas off of him. Mm-hmm. Um, one day I came up with this grand idea as I was once again crying. I said to myself, well, maybe I'll feel better if I start to listen to the music that he wanted me to listen to. So I remembered that he loved Bossa Nova and I remembered some of the artists that he liked um, that were more straight ahead jazz. And I found them on the Internet. And I started to listen. And in an instant, I did feel better. Um, The grief subsided for the moments that I was listening to it. So the next listening period was the next day. And I felt better. I felt like he was still around me, like his presence was there. And as I have stated on my website, what started out as a therapeutic um, um, device uh, for me, became a passion. I found myself as the months went on. I wanted to listen to it because I wanted to hear it, and I enjoyed listening to it. And then I, I branched out from whom I knew he liked to start listening to other artists, 
that I mean, there were names that were thrown around with my ex-boyfriends and growing up, and you know, you people you knew of, you know, Miles Davis and things like that, and and Ella Fitzgerald. But then I started to just, I became obsessed, and I wanted to hear it as much as I could, and I wanted to learn about it as much as I could, and I just immersed myself in it, and that is basically how I came to love it as much as I do. Um, it has only been the last close to eight years though and prior to that don't <laughs> prior to that I didn't know a thing about jazz it's it's a really touching story really really deep and of course I'm I'm really sorry about your friend but I'm really I'm really happy that you found jazz as a remedy and I mean look at your elements of jazz now it's it's incredible you have over 17,000 followers on Twitter you are followed by a lot of you know artists and really everyone with a passion for jazz is pretty much following you on Twitter and how did you come up with the idea of elements of jazz what 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 led you to it the name of elements of jazz the, the project per se the project um I was when I was on MySpace many moons ago, I had a little blog that didn't have a name, but I would let people know what was going on, what I could find out on the internet, what was going on on a regular basis, on a daily basis um, around the jazz world. And um, MySpace did not become the platform to be on for various reasons. And then I thought about it and I said, well, I could do a website and then I said, well, I, if I do a website, I can post whenever I want and I can, and I wouldn't have the uh, limitations of the blogging platform that MySpace had because there were certain things that you couldn't do with it. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to like, just be somebody that was a friend that can tell you all about the wonderful things about jazz because I can speak from a place from somebody that didn't appreciate it before. So that really was um, the impetus for Elements of Jazz. Plus, I wanted to honor Paris. I wanted something that would be there because of him. And that's primarily uh, the inspiration for Elements of Jazz. Mm-hmm. And do, do you remember, like, let's, because we have so much to talk about today, we have elementsofjazz.com which is a, a Grammy blog, and then we have we have Twitter. So Donna will tell us uh, about both, and she will also give out advice, especially for Twitter, because Twitter is your social media of choice. Is it is that correct? Yes, Twitter is my social media of choice. Mm-hmm. Facebook is secondary. Okay, and you you are I see that from your website that you are still using Facebook and you have YouTube, but. Twitter, it's where you're more more active the most. Yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's let's start with elementsofjets.com. So you you switched and you started officially with your blog. What what are the, the first things you wrote about? Do you if you do you still remember? Um, the first things that I wrote about in 2010, uh, March. Um, well, I remember when I, this wasn't something I wrote. Um, uh, NPR here in in the United States is uh, National Public Broadcasting. It's um, it's to me is a pretty big deal. I mm-hmm. mean, some people may not think so, but they actually interviewed me when I launched the website because they had followed me on Twitter and they wanted to know who this woman was that tweeted about jazz twenty four hours a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week. So one, they coincide their their publishing uh, or the the uh, uploading of the interview the first week that I was live, which I thought was really nice. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, if I remember correctly, maybe I didn't do it, but it was also around the time that Christian Scott was releasing his album yesterday. You said today, 
I think that's the name of it. He would kill me because I don't know the name of it. But I think it was it was around the time of his birthday. And I remember him releasing that CD. And I may have written that may have been the first thing I wrote about. It may not. I think the very first blog post I wrote was what I expected to do with elements of jazz and what I hope to uh, what my desires were to fulfill my mission, which I thought was my mission at the time. Mm -hmm. So that probably was my first blog post. and then. During the course of that week, um, Christian Scott's CD dropped, and I probably wrote something about that. And then uh, probably tying in with the NPR interview by the end of the week. So those were the first things. Okay, it's it's nice that you that you still remember it because I think that sometimes when it comes to 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 projects such as Element of Jazz, that there are so many things going on that it's it's difficult to put all the pieces of the puzzle in place, but It's nice that you remember and Elements of Jazz has a lot of great feature because you like you have books about about jazz, about the history of jazz, introduction to jazz, the jazz cultural influence and then you also have weekly uh, jazz album charts so 50 the top 50 albums so that people can always be updated with what you know what it's going on and the new releases and top releases in jazz mm -hmm. and you also have jazzerati which i think it's super cool that it's how can we refer to it it it's a sort of address book if we can call it so <laughs> of it's like the roll call of, of jazz uh artists musicians festivals and whatever of jazz on on twitter it's up to almost the last time i did an update the jazzerati had 3506 people on it or six entries on it i should say because they could be festivals um i probably have to add about 500 more i haven't updated it since october um so it's like the roll call of jazz all of jazz on twitter it's crazy i mean it's incredible like To, to know that there is a place, elementsofjazz.com. It's, it's a place where if you're looking for, for as you said, artists and people in the jazz industry, you probably will find it there. And as, as Donna said, 3,506 people and more coming. But how, how do you put Jazz Already together? Like, how do you, how do you, how do, how do you do it? Twitter allows you to have lists, mm -hmm. and I kept a list of jazz artists probably since I started on Twitter from 2008 onward, and um, it's just a combination of the people that have come on to Twitter in the last six years. Um, how do I keep the list? <laughs> I have a master list mm -hmm. of everyone, and then I actually, it sounds kind of crazy. The 500 that I have to add, um, I have to add manually. I have to check to make sure their links work before I add them. Mm -hmm. And I have to put them into the alphabetical master list, and then they get uploaded to the website. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't figured out a script to run yet to, to, to do all that for me automatically. So it gets done. Reason why it hasn't been done since October is because it is a manual um, operation. Um, so it's it's uh, labor intensive. Mm, yeah, it's a labor. It's a labor of love. Yeah, yeah, I I bet. I mean, already the three thousand five hundred. I think it would take me forever to do that. But I'm I'm <laughs> I'm glad that someone has thought about this because I think it's it's very it's a very useful resource. You know, like for whoever you are looking for who is in, in the jazz field or sector, for sh almost certainly you find it there. And so you said that you have been blogging on with Element on Jazz since 2010, right? Yes. Yes. And you are a, a Grammy blogger. I mean, people, some people blog for, for seven, eight, ten, 15 years and they you know they remain in their small niche but you are a grammy blogger T tell us a little bit about that how did that come about um in 2010 toward the end of the year the lady that was in charge of the grammy 
blogger program and the social media for Grammys. Her name was Beverly Bevjack. Her her thing on Twitter is Bevjack. Um, she's no longer with the Grammys, though. She's moved on to greener pastures. Um, she got in contact with me on Twitter and asked me out of the blue, would I like to blog for the Grammys as the jazz blogger? And, of course, I wrote her back. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, are you just pulling my leg? And she said, no, this, um, I've been watching your uh, Twitter activity, and you seem like you are an aficionado. We want the super fans of each genre to be our bloggers. And we, she invited me to be the blogger for jazz. So from 2011 onward, this year was my fourth consecutive year. Um, I was invited to attend the Grammys as their guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the sponsors of Delta and Hilton providing uh, airfare and room and board. <laughs> and once you get there, uh, the Grammys, the Grammy organization, the Recording Academy is uh, more than generous to give you access to all the events that are going on. Um, they just want you to be there, be present. Uh, represent them well on social media and cover the events that they assign you. Um, jazz doesn't have as many events there as, say, pop music, but there are things that we do get to um, enjoy every year. And that's how I got to be. They found me on Twitter. I mean, it's amazing as it sounds. I was found on Twitter. I think that's that's fantastic. And just to think about your story for a moment, like growing up, listening to Motown and other genres, but not jazz. And then you had this very dear friend of yours that tried to pull you into jazz and that you weren't interested. And, and now you have you have your website, you are a Grammy blogger, and you have this incredible community of Twitter followers, over 17,000. And you have, have, you have over 79,600,000 tweets. That Those numbers are incredible. Now, tell, let's talk about, about Twitter. Like your, your Twitter uh, username is at Elements of Jazz for those who are listening. So make sure to, to go and check Elements of Jazz on Twitter. So what, what is your regular Twitter day? How how does it work? Because you're you're so active, like you're you're almost twenty four seven on Twitter. So it's, I think it's interesting to to can to get a kind of behind the scenes look at at your Twitter activity. How is your regular Twitter day? Uh, my regular Twitter day normally starts in the evening when I come home from my full time job, mm-hmm. um, and. Depends on what I've received email wise. It, it depends on what I've seen um, on my uh, stream, my my timeline, I should say, mm-hmm. my timelines on uh, Twitter. I had I use Hootsuite. I break um, down <clears throat> my seventeen thousand followers into maybe I think it's uh, nineteen columns that I use to keep track of what everybody is doing and. The retweets typically, they may happen when I'm at work, but mostly the retweeting occurs when I get home. The setup of the things that I'm posting gets set up on the schedule in Hootsuite the night before, and they may run, normally my campaigns for something will run for two and a half days, and then they drop off. Mm -hmm. It's something that I posted to the website. Um, I typically don't adhere to um, some of the uh, well- uh, supported ideas of tweeting at certain times of day because my my audience is international. It's not just the United States, mm-hmm. so I tend to tweet in six hour intervals. Intervals, excuse me. And um, the original tweet will go out six hours later. A retweet will go out, and they'll go on rotation for two and a half days. Um, that may seem kind of heavy handed, but as I mentioned, um, a lot of my followers. My staunch followers are non-U.S. based, so they could be in Australia, they could be in Japan, they could be in Europe. I need to have things that hit when they're actually on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I don't uh, adhere to just hitting the high date, the high times 
of what will resonate in the United States because my audience is international. And I actually like that. I like that it's not just U.S. based. Mm-hmm. You know? So my Twitter, yeah, my Twitter day is basically coming home, looking at all that I've missed. And unless something happens when I'm looking at it from work and then I'll, I'll, I'll dive in there. But I tend not to do it from work because I'll get distracted and I'll want to do my jazz and not do my job. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good thing for the people that pay me. So I, don't, <laughs> I try not to look at it while I'm at work. So as soon as I come home, though, I hit my, I, I wake my computer up as soon as I take my jacket off and maybe sometimes even before I take my jacket off, I tweet <laughs> to see what's going on. And, you know, I get in there and I get down and dirty and I work for a couple hours and I set, but setting up the schedule for the republishing of what I post that, that is handled by the schedule mechanism and Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I like to see what everybody's doing because even all the jazz, one thing about jazz, you know, people are performing all the time, different time zones around the world. So I may see something from Christian McBride um, at four o'clock in the morning because he's in Osaka, mm-hmm. you know, and I may retweet it or I may see something from um, Diane Reeves or the Bad Plus at all odd hours, but that's what a jazz musician's life is like. So I don't think it's really weird not to adhere to the U.S. quote-unquote guidelines of when the best times are to tweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting that the strategy that you use. So if I understood it correctly, you set up a kind of six hours repeat loop where you will send the same tweet on a six hour like time period and for a two two day stretch yeah about two two and a half day stretch mm-hmm. okay and it's you you mentioned hootsuite and it's actually the same tool that i use and also you might remember from episode two we had bob yuzinski who talked about uh, social media promotion yep. and also on episode seven we had ezra brown who talked about touring the world and he also shared a similar story that for the fact that he travels all over the world and he has like you an international audience he also uses Hootsuite and for those of you who would like to try Hootsuite out you can sign up for free if you go to the jetspotlight.com slash Hootsuite spelled H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E Hootsuite you can sign up for free or you, or if you like, you can sign up for the pro version that gives you uh, an enhanced feature, so you can try it out. And you obviously you have like you have contact with a lot of people in the chat community. I mean, your followers alone. What are the what are the things the mistakes? Let's call the mistakes you see. For example, artists make on Twitter? Are there some things that sometimes you see and you kind of shake your hand, head? <laughs> <laughs> um, mistakes. I think if you Twitter is a totally different beast, a totally different animal than Facebook is. Twitter is more, for me, interactive. Maybe people have the experience on Facebook. I'm not sure. But I like the immediacy of Twitter. And if your fans what i've noticed if your fans are asking you questions um at some point in time it would be nice and it really would make their day their week if the artists would respond directly to them and address whatever it is that they may want to know and i think that really makes it a personal relationship between the artist and um, their fans. Now I know some, you know, some people, most artists don't have time to do that, but I used to handle accounts for a couple of musicians and I would say to them, you know, it really would be nice if you would just go on here 15 minutes a day, scan through your tweets that you've gotten overnight and just shoot an answer back to them. I said, you have no idea how much goodwill that would impart, not just with that fan, but the other fans that are on, that are following you. 
And it was like some of the people that I used to work with when I handled their Twitter account, sometimes it felt like I was pulling teeth. And <laughs> I, I just think you should be able to get a good feeling out of um, interacting with your fans. You don't have to be tied to the computer or to your smartphone or to your tablet. You know, like I, I gave them, I said, 15, 20 minutes tops at your, your of your day. But just look at your feed from last night. Look at your timeline. See questions that people are asking you. And, you know, you can do a general answer for, oh, we're going to be here next week performing there. But if somebody asks you something specifically about the horn you're using, hey, shoot them back an answer. That really would make their day. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of mouthpiece you're using or something like that. Something when I was handling this particular person's account, I had no idea what kind of mouthpiece he was using. And I, I text him and ask him. I said, because this person, I said, this would be really cool if, this, if you answered this question for them. But um, some people don't see the, um, I don't want to say the wisdom in interacting with their fans on there. Um, maybe they just don't feel comfortable talking to the fan. I don't know what it is. But I think if you want to put it, uh, uh, if you want to open up a, a account an account on on Twitter and you want to have a presence, you have to interact. Don't be just like this one way megaphone telling everyone about your show and the times of the show and, or this is my Facebook link. Make sure you like us. And then you don't interact with anybody. I really think that's a poor use of Twitter. I think Twitter can be used a lot more intimately than Facebook ever can be. Um, and that's just my opinion. Another thing is uh, don't let your Twitter account go inactive. You know, <laughs> tweet something on it. Don't don't have an account that you haven't used for like two years. That makes no sense to me. And then all of a sudden you want everybody to come to your shows, but you haven't been interacting with anybody. They don't know what's going on. They don't even know you're working on a new project. But now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this dropped last year. And, you know, nobody knows. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, with jazz, the press is not out there covering it. It's not like, you know, Beyonce dropping an album. It's like, you know, you got to get to know your people on the, you know, ground level. You got to, you know, it's not, it's not, and it's not that difficult. People make things more harder and more bigger than what they are. Um, that's the biggest thing that I see, that the the artist no matter how big or how small they are, particularly in jazz, they just do not interact with um, the people that love them and, and want to get to know them better. And I, I think that's an opportunity that's missed. And I, I agree, and I think that sometimes we we kind of forget the social aspect of social media. So like you said, if someone asks you something, try to answer whenever you can. And I think the tools like Hootsuite really help help in this sense because you can you can uh, schedule tweets and, and like you said especially if you have an international audience Hootsuite lets you being in contact with every everybody at the most appropriate time for them and most importantly it also helps you to make sure that your account is active so no matter how how long you're actually on Twitter you could spend one hour per week but in that hour you schedule your tweets for for the upcoming week for example i really like that and i think that i agree with you about this about the social aspect and i think that in some way jazz festivals for example approach twitter and use use twitter already in a in a different way i think they're somehow more personable in a way compared to some other artists but are there things that you see that jazz festivals and also jazz venues are missing out on twitter or in the way they use twitter um from one observation i I know about or i've made about um festivals anybody's festivals I never know about them until they're either the week of or the, or they have just passed. And I don't know why that is because I follow everybody, but they don't seem to do a lot of promotion. The only ones that I can say I can speak clearly about Java Jazz International over in Indonesia. They do a lot of 
beforehand tweeting. I know when it's going to happen. I know what's going on in Jakarta. I know the lineup. But I can't say that anyone else's jazz festival sticks out to me on Twitter. But I always know when Java is coming up because Java does a great job of promoting themselves and letting you know exactly what's going on and when it's going on. Um, I have to correct myself. There's the jazz festival coming up in South Africa right now. That uh, They're doing a better job this year, a much better job this year than they did last year about letting you know who's going to be there and when it's going to happen. So those two festivals are doing a really good job. The other ones, there, you know, there are hundreds of jazz festivals around the world, maybe even thousands, you know, little ones, maybe a day long or whatever, but I don't know. And I follow a lot of festivals on Twitter and I don't know what's going on with them. I have to, it's a shame I have to go and look to find out, oh, did the festival happen already? Oh, it did happen. Rochester does a, Rochester International Jazz Festival does um, a nice job of letting people know what's going on on Twitter. And But those are the exceptions. And people may complain that I didn't name their jazz <laughs> festival, but I, I'm pretty... I'm pretty active on there, and like I said, I may have 17 or 19 columns that I have to maintain to see where everybody is. But if you know, if you're only tweeting it once and I miss it, that's that's not helping me help you, and it's not helping your fans find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. You can't just tweet once. You got to tweet at least. You don't have to tweet as re- as frequently as me, but you should tweet um cu- upcoming event. Try to do it twice a day, different times a day. Change if you want to do hashtags, do those. Change the tweet somehow so that it won't get, you know, caught up with Twitter saying you can't tweet so often. And, you know, let people know what's going on. You want more people at your shows. You want more people at your festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find out more about that's one thing about Facebook. When there is an invitation, you know, boom, and it stays on your calendar. I'm not saying that, that Twitter should go that route, but. In order to um, compensate for the fact that there is no calendar on Twitter, they have to tweet more. You know, that's just the bottom line. One tweet is not going to do it, and maybe that's what they're doing, and that's why I'm not seeing it. So, yeah, I agree with you. And actually, on the Jazz Spotlight, I write about festivals and and venues around the world, and I also try to follow as as many festivals and clubs. As possible and sometimes I like I've noticed this thing that you mentioned about festivals that they don't like use their their accounts that much until it's almost festival time and the the question that I often ask myself is when I look at the account of a festival let's say that takes place in August and their last twist their last uh, last tweet was of August of last year <laughs> So I wonder, okay, is it so that they are still using Twitter? So they are just waiting for the new edition for to start to tweet again? Or have they left Twitter? You know, it's it's pretty difficult. Right. And some, somehow it's a move that I don't really understand for the fact that Twitter is free and tools, that as, as, uh, tools like Hootsuite are relatively u- uh, easy to use and they, they are not that time-consuming like... I said about planning uh, a tweets or a series of tweets. It's something that one could do relatively quickly and rather easily, uh, easy. So I think it's yeah, it's something that uh, it's a it's a good point what you brought up to to maybe for for festival organizers out there. If you're listening to this episode, try to go and look at the festivals that Donna mentioned just to see the way they are. Uh, tweeting all year round to and try to do the same because it's true that you know your fans want to know about you and want to know about your festival not only when it's the festival it's actually happening but even beforehand because they might be interested in in com- attending the upcoming edition but they want to know a bit in advance because perhaps they live in another country or another continent even or something like this and and what about music venues? Because obviously music venues are, are already a bit different story because they have uh, gigs maybe on a nightly basis or 
weekly basis. So what are the, the things you, you notice music venues uh, maybe miss out on Twitter to a certain extent? Well, as you said, music venues would be a little different because they do have more activity in their, you know, specific locale. You know, they may have seven nights of jazz and <laughs> who tweet could fix it though. I mean, you know, they could tweet more. I, you know, I'm thinking about the jazz clubs over in New York city. A lot of them do seem to tweet, but they seem to tweet the day of, and I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that calendar is, I'm thinking about, well-known jazz clubs, not mm -hmm. somebody that's just starting out. I'm pretty sure their calendar is set in like a month or two or three months ahead. So they could plan their campaign um, out on a calendar on Hootsuite or TweetDeck or something else that they prefer. And, you know, get, get the information out because there are people even here where I live at in Seattle that I don't realize are here until after they've left. And I'm like, I, you know, it's like, I mean, I can't, I'm not, and it, it's not being promoted on Facebook either. So it's like, how, how am I supposed to know who's here until, until somebody lets me know. And the people that have venues here in Seattle, they just don't utilize Twitter enough. I don't know if it's because they don't like the social media. They don't like computers. You know, everybody's got a little different take on um, interacting with the devices that we have to use on a daily basis. But you can make it a little bit more palatable if you have a third party um, application or program like I use, like Hootsuite, and it, it can make it a little bit more manageable and make the tweets. Uh, another thing, I think the brevity of the tweets um, might overwhelm somebody because there's only 140 characters that you're allowed to use. There are programs that you can use to extend the tweet, but that, you know, people don't really get into Twitter to that level. They don't know that those things exist. Um, so they may not know how to be concise in what they're trying to say, but these are the skills that are not hard to develop. And I think it really would help, uh, all genres, not just jazz. If people just know, you know, you can convey to them succinctly what it is that's going on on your stages. I, I think that just will help everybody all around. And um, it would be nice to see more venues, smaller venues, consistently doing that. Because mm -hmm. what I see them really doing is like, oh, well, we have this show. Don't forget to get your tickets for the show tonight. Okay, well, who's on the show? <laughs> I, you know, you don't. And like I said, I know 140 characters is a lot, but you can say um, you can you can feature one artist in each tweet. You don't have to try to put your whole bill because there is a club that I'm thinking about in New York. They try to put their whole bill. They have a um, they'll have a 930 set and a 730, 930 and a midnight set. And they try to put all of the artists all in one tweet. And I'm like, that's doing you a disservice and that's doing the artists a disservice. You should do one tweet for each set so that the people will know who's performing and how much the tickets are if you want to put that in a tweet um you know little things like that but that's just me you know <laughs> <laughs> no well it's it's just you someone that has over seventeen thousand followers and has tweeted almost <laughs> eighty thousand tweets you know knows what she's doing and I'm really glad that you know we are hearing this this advice and tips from you and actually I think that uh, Bob Yuzinski on episode 2 he talked about Twitter as well and he talked about the kind of tweets that you know are more likely to be retweeted and shared and he, he mentioned the importance of visuals uh, and having pictures in, in tweets and I think that in a way your last point about not trying to put all the lineup in a single tweet tweet but break it up could could help very well if you have the first set the artist you tweet out that with maybe a picture of the artist then the same thing for the second and for the third and so forth and going back to what you said about the uh, the kind of informing people so that you know often happens that yeah one knows about a gig only the same day or even the day after which is not good i think that something that uh, music venues could do and it's really easy could be for example to tweet 
during the weekend and maybe on Monday the uh, weekly schedule let's say or even or even the monthly schedule of obviously breaking up on with tweets because I think it's it's really good and and there, there are some chats venues that do this that maybe they even create some some kind of uh, calendar or some PDF but if one doesn't have the time or, or resources to do that I think that one could easily do it with Twitter to send out a few tweets and repeat them a couple of, of times during the day so that people know what happens or what's gonna happen during that week or during the upcoming month so I totally agree and again I I really recommend to those who are using only Twitter to try out things like Hootsuite or even TweetDeck that you mentioned and now I want to ask you about stay like let's stay on Twitter and about artists festivals and venues that are maybe using social media but are not using Twitter what do you think they are missing out by not using Twitter or by not being on Twitter in terms of online promotion um as i mentioned earlier i like the immediacy of twitter um twitter to me seems more alive than any other social media platform including google plus um the various other platforms that exist out there like uh you know the facebook and the other I'm drawing a blank right now, but I see it in my mind. Um, I believe that if an artist could, because you can incorporate, if you just want to be Facebook heavy, you still can incorporate feeding Facebook and Twitter from Hootsuite if you want to do that. I think you get a different type of user when you interact with people on Twitter than you get when you interact on Facebook. Um, I'm not saying one audience is better than the other but i think you're addressing two different types of audiences and people may not gravitate toward facebook um twitter is loved um all its quirks and shortcomings that people may feel that it has it is a loved platform it's a beloved platform and it would behoove people to think about giving it a little bit more love in their social media campaign. I just think um, you, the way that the music industry is now, um, you are in charge of your destiny more so now than ever in the past because the record labels do still exist, but they don't wield as nearly as much power as they used to because of the immediacy of being able to download from uh artist website or to check them out on youtube they they're not the puppeteers anymore you really can make um an impression and a connection with your fans like never before and you don't have to spend a lot of money so the fact that you may not have a presence on twitter i think and not an active presence is not one thing just to have the account you got to have an active and like I said, 15 minutes out of your day. And really, that's all you should be giving to Facebook, too. But people get dragged into Facebook with all this um, other nonsense that goes on on your feed, which, you know, that's not that doesn't keep you focused on what it is that you're doing. You're trying to present your music to people that may appreciate it and you want them to come see you and you want to enhance their world and their your world will be enhanced by them. Um, loving your music and, and letting others know about it. Um, Twitter is just another avenue that I think is is a valid avenue that artists should embrace. It's a different kind of avenue, though. It is not you can't run off at the mouth like you do on Facebook and talk about things that are not important. You got to be concise, and being concise is a something that's not embraced. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to be verbose. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I like Twitter, because you can't, you know, even when people go on a rant, they can only go on a rant for so much because they get tired of the uh, the uh, 140 character limit. I mean, they say what they have to say. And but because of uh, the activity on my feed, it doesn't stay up there for very long. So you can rant and then it moves on. And um, I've moved on and 
all is well in the world. So I think Twitter is valid in the sense that you will get a different type of listening um, fan, somebody that may really be hardcore um, and not just a passing fan and not just jumping on the wagon um, as they may appear on other social medias, platforms. I just think, I just think it's really special Mm -hmm. and a lot of interesting and special things have happened to me because of Twitter. So um, it's still that one-on-one connection with humans and we all have emotions and we all like to feel connected no matter what people say we still like to feel connected and i think there's an intimacy on twitter that doesn't exist anywhere else on social media um to the level that it does i mean it's a huge platform mm-hmm. it's huge yeah that's that's true and i i as we speak i was uh, scanning through the your followers and it's just unbelievable because uh, elements of jazz is followed by pretty much all the major jazz clubs festivals publications and 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 websites that write about that write about jazz and it's it's clear that you know your formula it's a success formula your spontaneous and social interaction with with your followers and your community it I think it's it's really a way to to go and the right way to do it and I I think that really people if you haven't yet make sure to check out elements on of jazz on Twitter because I'm sure that you can there is something that you can learn from it and let's go back to your to your website for a moment because now we have we have talked about Twitter you have given out some some tips uh what are the 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 plans for your website is are is there something coming that you can share with us <laughs> yes the uh resurrection of elements of jazz and its uh second life will be coming in the next few months um i've decided that this is what i want to do with this part of my life and i'm going to infuse more life into the website i'm going to probably uh redesign it to a certain extent And I wrote out a list earlier today of um, things that I want to start featuring on it. I mean, I have, as I mentioned, over 3,500 people of the Jazzerati, and I think I'm doing them a disservice by not featuring them on the website on a weekly basis. So I have 3,500 to start with. I have 500 to add. I think I will be busy for quite a long time. So... um, (laughs) Uh, I'm working on that. I am going to be focused on some other things that I wrote down today. I'm going to be more consistent with my posting, which is, you know, paramount of you being a blogger. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, some things, other ways I'm trying to, I'm thinking about I'm, ideas I'm rolling around in my head of how to actually monetize the website mm-hmm. and to get income coming in and possibly uh, do something internationally either uh, making some sort of uh, connections with uh, the expanding uh, and growing jazz loving communities in Asia um, I've talked to some people out there about possibly doing some things over in China and Korea as far as uh, promotion and bringing artists over and stuff like that. So there are a couple of different directions that I am going to go into because now I realize after some long reflection over a long Memorial Day weekend holiday here in America that um, I need to do this because this brings me joy so mm-hmm. can't give you anything concrete yet <laughs> but. yeah but you have a lot on on your plate a lot of great things coming up and it's you know it's it's great to to know that you have so many exciting things coming up because what you're doing it's just incredible and i'm i'm sure that many people agree with me that your contribution to the jazz community and to all those who love jazz is is incredible and i would like to ask since you are a blogger yourself and because of of your twitter followers i'm sure that you you see a lot of of websites when it comes to 
like we talked about Twitter for artists, for festivals, for music venues. Now let's talk for a moment about websites. What are the mistakes you see artists make online on their website? Is there something, for example, that you think they are often missing out on their websites or... One of my pet peeves with websites for artists is that they don't keep the, the content up to date. Um, you got to go to different, uh, you got to either go to the record label. If they have a record label that supports them, you have to go to the record label, maybe to find a new schedule. You have to go to this place, maybe Facebook to find the new album information. It would be nice if you do have a web presence on a website to have all of that stuff up to date. Why? Because it would be nice to be able to like quickly uh, gather all that information if I wanted to do a post on you. Also, um, as the gentleman mentioned in episode two of your podcast, it would be nice to have the promo um, content available, such as photos mm-hmm. um, that you may want. A press kit. Well, it's, it's not called a press kit, but... Um, the electronic press kit, the EPK. Um, it would be nice if those were made available. I'm not saying that the stuff has to be um, high budget kind of stuff, but it would be nice to be able to go to certain areas on each artist's website and be able to, you know, copy and paste what I need so I can work on it, look at it, figure out how I want to present them on the website. That would make everyone's job easier as a blogger. And I know if an artist is responsible for presenting and creating music and touring and doing all that, they probably do not have the time to maintain their website. So they may want to uh, farm that out to somebody. And I'm not sure if that's something that any of the artists have considered. I'm not not saying all artists do that, but it seems to me when I do go to a website, something is missing. The new schedule is not there. The new content is not there. Um, you know, nothing's been updated since the last album. And I know you have to be working on something. Just let people know what you're doing, you know. <laughs> and that's if you want to have a website, please do that because everybody doesn't go on Facebook and everybody can't find you on Facebook or they don't have the time to go on Facebook. Normally on that page about you on the Facebook page doesn't give you the ability to present what it is that you're doing right now in everybody's face. You got to go looking for it. So if it's on your website, it's under your control and I can just click one in and I'm like, Oh, I can go here for press information. I can go here for sound uh, files. If, if needed, it would be really nice. EPK somewhere mm-hmm. it would be really nice. Um, who to contact if that information isn't available, that kind of information. You know, who your publicist is. I, I deal with um, a lot of publicists, so um, I don't have to. I have other resources of how to get information, but it would be nice just to go on somebody's website, anybody's website that's a musician or artist or a vocalist, and be able to just get that at a, at a moment's notice. Another thing I would like to complain about <laughs> is... All artists don't have a website. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I really can't put my head around it. I, I, there's no excuse for any artist, no matter what their budget, not to have a website. It could be just a one-page website, but have something out there about yourself, what you play, what you sing, what you've done, and some photos, possibly some YouTube um, videos. Tag them. Let somebody know what's going on. We got to know that you're out there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, I, I had a housemate when I first moved here to Seattle. He just put out a CD and I asked him, I texted him. I said, where's your bio at or where's your bio information at on the web? And he says, it's not out there. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, how? And so I got to get him to write me something up manually because he doesn't spend a lot of time on on the internet, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You've been playing for 30 years and none of your stuff, none of your information is on the website. I mean, nobody's website. You don't even have a page. And he said, no. So, and I love his new CD and I wanted to hand it off to somebody in Europe, but uh, England actually. And I can't cause they're going to say, well, what is his bio? And I'm like, I can vouch for him, but 
<laughs> yeah. No, I think it's I think you brought up a couple of very interesting points and like yeah, I also to be honest with you, I don't get why people don't have a website. I mean, I think that today it's relatively easy to have a website and build a website even even without any programming skills. There are there are plenty of platforms like WordPress, Squares, Squarespace, Weebly, uh, really where it's relatively easy to set up yeah. a website and one doesn't have to do much. And Ezra Brown on episode 7, he also talked about his website and for the fact that he's traveling quite a lot and he doesn't always have his computer with him, but only his smartphone. He was talking about the uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram integration with the website so that even though he doesn't post actual posts every week, his website is really active because when he uh, shares, for example, pictures of his latest gig on Facebook, they are also uh, showed on his website so that his fans that visit his website are still getting, you know, updated with what he's, he's doing and what is going on. So I think it's, it's very easy to build a website and like you said it's important that once you have a website same with uh, Twitter, Facebook and pretty much all other social media to keep keep them updated so to to make sure to to have updated content what Ezra Brown does is a way there there are many ways you can hire uh, someone to post for you you can do that yourself if you like just just make sure to to find some some time first of all to build a website if you don't have a website yet and once you have built a website there are few things that you you should keep in mind and uh, Jerry Goldstein on episode 13 we talked about uh, booking and she talked or we talked quite a lot about websites and she she talked about the ways of having a website because once you have a website you should think that you have different audiences so it might be fans like that want to come to your gig might be booking agents might be festivals and this relates to what you when you were talking about the electronic press kit I think it goes in that direction so that once that you have built your website or if you already have a website spend a moment to look at your website and and think if your website is built for your targeted audience so is it only for your fans or does it address also potential booking agents or or festival music venues i think that these these things are are really important and again i'm i'm really glad you brought them up and I really think that also with the with the price that it's relatively cheap to have a website and and social media it's really an opportunity that everyone should take advantage of especially if you take advantage of it. Uh, yeah in this day and age there's no excuse particularly in western europe and united states and canada and parts of South America, parts of uh, Asia and Africa, I'm hitting all the continents in Australia. There's really no excuse. Um, a lot of people are, are wired, as we all know. A lot of people aren't wired, but the ones that are tend to be in those areas that I mentioned. And you, it doesn't cost. It's not traditional advertisement that used to cost you money for prints. It used to cost you money for radio time, airplay. It used to cost you money for TV time. You're not, you were not talking about thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, or a million dollars for like a spot on TV for 30 seconds. You know, that's extreme, but, um, this can work and people don't seem to really want to embrace that. It really can work. Um, as you follow me on my new journey, you will see it does work. <laughs> you just have to. You just got to commit yourself to, for me, presenting jazz in a light where people can fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. Because 10 years ago, if you would have told me I would be where I'm at now because of jazz, I would have said some choice words to you. And <laughs> we, we would have moved on because I'm like, please, jazz would have been the farthest thing from my mind. 
I've met people, I've met artists, I've dined with artists, I've hung out with artists, I've interviewed artists that I never imagined that I would have be in the same space with, you know? Uh, the And the Grammy opportunity is just a whole different level, a whole different world. I mean, I've met people that played with John Coltrane and Miles and Dizzy. Um, I'm thinking specifically about Roy Haynes. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award mm-hmm. in 2011. And I had a conversation with Roy Haynes at the... Um, the reception after the event and he I mean I'm sitting there talking to him and I'm like oh my god I cannot believe what I'm doing I can't believe who I'm talking to mm-hmm. and he just he was just so gracious and and the uh, young guys coming up now and some of the guys that are my age I mean everybody and the late young ladies and the ladies that are my age like Terry Lynn Carrington everyone is so gracious but they're also superly talented and they all have something to offer. And I just want people to hear the music and to see that it's something that is accessible and something that you can embrace and you will actually love it. I don't understand. And just like, well, I don't understand where I got it from because my mother didn't say she didn't like jazz. I just came to the conclusion that I wouldn't like it and I just refused to listen to it. Don't mm-hmm. ask me what that was about. <laughs> um. It's, it's something for me that's magical. It may not be magical for everybody, but I think if people are exposed to it's so wide open, there's so many different nuances about jazz. If they just were exposed to it, I think people would be surprised. And that, that was my, my first that was my first focus. And I got to get back to that because I want people to embrace it. I want them to hear it. They may not like the artists and the music that I particularly like, but there's there's something out there for somebody, for everyone, and they would be surprised. So, Very, very inspiring words. Donna, <laughs> thank you yes. so much for being on the show, for telling us more about elements of jazz and giving out practical tips for artists, music venues, and festivals on Twitter, as well as for... for online promotion. This was Grammy blogger Donna Mercer of Elements of Jazz. Donna, once again, thank you so much. You are so welcome, Yannick. Thank you for inviting me, and I hope you gleaned something worthwhile from this. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was my pleasure. People, make sure to follow Elements of Jazz on Twitter if you want to find out new jazz sounds do you want to learn more about what's happening in jazz just head over to twitter and find uh, and look for elements of jazz thank you donna have a great day you too yannick you too thank you so much take care all right that was donna mercer of elementsofjazz.com donna once again thank you so much for being on the podcast and telling us more about elements of jazz and giving us advice on how to get the most out of Twitter for musicians, festivals and venues. I want to go back to one of the things Donna talked about, about the, you know, the 50 minutes per day, two tweets a day kind of thing for festivals, especially because I think it was a very good point. And, you know, if you're listening and you're running a festival or you're managing social media for a festival, it's something that you should really think about what Donna said, you know, to try to keep an active uh, profile even when festival season is over or is not or the festival hasn't started yet try to make sure to spend a few minutes uh, every day or even you could spend even just a moment every week and and schedule the tweets for the week and you know try to to inform the the fans about what is coming uh, try to build momentum about you know are there some artists that are going to be announced the lineup is about to be announced Build momentum. Do you have the first names of the lineup, headliners that have been just added to the uh, lineup? Do that. Talk about those because, you know, there is plenty of people who would like to learn more about the festival and are just waiting for that. And also after the festival, you know, share the, the best moment of the festivals, the best pictures. If you have videos, some videos, uh, give shout out to artists, to fans, to sponsors and you know, even during the, the year, 
why not to take a walk down memory lane and you know remember the past editions of the festival share anecdotes or, or you know an, an edition of the festival is coming and one of the artists who set to perform at your festival has just been interviewed by an important publication or has just released a new album or has just been awarded an important prize talk about those because you know you will you will get people more interested about your your festival about the coming edition of the festivals and about the artists who are, who are set to perform at your festival so just like Donna said try to be active and you know not don't tweet if your festival is a week for example in in August don't just tweet during that week and then wait for a year and then start to tweet again try to build momentum already months before the festival and try to you know be active even after the festival and try to to give you know updates to your fans about what's going on uh, share news share uh, best pictures best moments uh, interesting facts some some funny questions all kind of content that you cannot come up i'm sure it will benefit you I, i want to end this episode with a quick note As I said last week, I'm about to leave for the Pori Jets Festival in Pori, Finland. And, you know, I have a surprise for you because next week there's going to be a special edition of the Jets Spotlight podcast. If you've been following the podcast by now, you know that it's a weekly podcast. So there is a new episode every week. But next week is a special week and there is going to be a daily edition of the podcast with special guests every day from Monday to Friday. So make sure to go to thejetspotlight.com slash podcast every day to get updates about, you know, who the guest or guests of the day are. I won't anticipate you any name. I can just tell you that some of the guests are probably artists that you have been listening to and that you probably also like. So make sure to next week every day from Monday to Friday to go to thejetspotlight.com slash podcast for the special edition of the Jet Spotlight podcast with interviews from the Poly Jets Festival. I'm Yanni Lunga and this is the Jet Spotlight podcast. Like always, I would like to thank you for listening and I wish you a great day.